if you'll turn with me to Matthew 18 this morning, you can find that printed in your bulletin insert, or if you have your own Bible you'd like to uh, read with me, we'll use this as a unison reading of the 18th chapter of the Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. If you've ever studied Matthew before, you know there are five major sections of teaching from Jesus that Matthew gives us throughout this gospel, the first being the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Well, this 18th chapter is the fourth such section of teaching, sometimes referred to as a discourse of the entire chapter is. We'll read just the first four verses. Let's read the Word of God together. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. the greatest. If you were alive in 1963, you heard someone give an answer to that question. A loudmouthed young boxer who told the world, I am the greatest. This is the legend of Cassius Clay, the most beautiful fighter in the world today. He talks a great deal brags and deedy of a muscular punch that's incredibly speedy. This brash young boxer is something to see. And the heavyweight championship is his destiny. I am the greatest. I can remember seeing him say those words. I remember seeing his face on the television screen. I was only about six at the time. But I thought, that man talks faster than anyone I have ever heard before. And I was raised in the South, and we don't talk exceptionally speedy. And he was able to do so, and with great articulation. But I can also remember thinking, he sure is bragging a lot about himself, because, you see, I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents nurtured myself and my brother sort of along the lines of the same attitude that we find in Proverbs 27, where he says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. And so that's the way we were nurtured in our family and taught not to think too highly of yourself. But even though I was nurtured that way, I could always brag with the best of me school, and still can sometimes even today because that continues to be a problem for me, because it's a sin problem, paying attention to self, building up self, even proclaiming self. And in our text this morning, we can see that the disciples of Jesus have an issue with this as well because they come to him 
asking him who is the greatest in the kingdom, which on the surface sounds like a, a very innocent question. It, it may be that uh, we could say that they had that on their minds because of some teaching that Jesus had already given them uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when he told them that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, this is when he said, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That sort of sounds like there might be distinction, some kind of lower down on the scale and some kind of greater up on the scale of greatness within the kingdom. So who is the greatest? But I say the disciples are having an issue with this because of what we can read in the other Gospels. Mark makes it a little clearer than Matthew in his ninth chapter when he tells us they came to Capernaum and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they were silent from the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. And then Luke, in his ninth chapter, makes it even clearer than Mark when he bluntly says an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. There we can see it, the pride of self in all its glory. Yes, Jesus is the de facto leader, but, but who is second in command of, of this church that he's building? Is it Peter? Is it John? Is it James? Who, who is the greatest? Jesus answers their question with a lot of illustration. Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest kingdom of heaven. And as I say, there are these five great discourses in the Gospel of Matthew, and in its 18th chapter, as one scholar puts it, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the kind of community life that should characterize their relationships with one another as well as with the world at large. In other words, Jesus begins to talk about what it really means to be a part of his church, to be a part of the body of Christ, and how are we going to treat one another, as well as how are we going to treat those out there in the world. Well, the first thing that Jesus says is, unless you turn and become like children, sounds similar to the meaning of repent, doesn't it? In the way that we have to change directions. Here Jesus is looking for us to turn away from our own goals and instead relate ourselves to God as a child to a parent. Not as some sort of independent being. You know, a small child is totally dependent on their parents. And this is what Jesus is getting at. In fact, this word 
Greek usually means the smaller child. In other words, they have to retrain their brains on what the word great really means within the context of the church of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been mistaken on the meaning of the word? You know, you thought a word meant this, Somebody else said, no, it means this. When I was in the, I think it was the seventh grade, I can't remember, I went to an elementary school where it was grade one through grade eight, so there really wasn't a middle school in my day where I lived in our town in North Carolina. The final bell rang, and a friend and myself were leaving the gym, and we were running to the bus. when we could hear behind us the PE teacher say, stop running, which we did until we got up to a corner of the building. We were outside. We got to the corner of the building, went around that corner and kind of looked at each other funny, you know, and kind of moved on out. And unbeknownst to us, at the same time, he was quickly moving where he could see in our line of sight. And he yelled this time, and he said, stop running and come in the morning in the gym and see me before school starts. So we had all night to think about that early morning meeting. And at that meeting the next day, he, he impressed upon us the true definition of the phrase, don't run, with some expertly delivered plaques from his pilot. The only corporal punishment I ever
their father. Humility is the key because when we're truly humble, then we're not focused on ourselves. We're focused on other people. This is part of what Paul means in Philippians 2. The reading that Kathy read for us when he says, Do nothing from selfishness. You hear that? From selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. I wonder, do you ever think about that verse? How do we put that verse into practice day in and day out as we try to live for God? To in humility count others better than ourselves. Remember, this is within words in the of the church and what the church is all about. I think one way uh, we could have applied that last Sunday in our single service Sunday was to have stayed for the presentation by the Spain Mission Day. You know, when two-thirds of us left, there was a, a mission team we had sent halfway around the And they had lots to share with us about what God did through them while they were in the valley. And and two-thirds of us didn't avail ourselves of that opportunity to hear about God's work. I was ashamed. presentation because obviously I haven't talked enough about what community life is really like within the context of the church and what it means that we are to support and encourage one another. And the reason we're called to humility is because that's the example Savior sent for us while he was here on this earth. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. So if the Lord of the universe humbled himself, surely we can do nothing from selfishness, from self. And instead, in humility, count others better than ourselves. The emphasis is on others. The other people in the body of Christ with us and those in the world at large. As God's power saves us by grace in Christ, we're given a new vision of what life is all about. Heretofore, it's always been about us. Because before God's saving grace, we're extremely selfish people. And we're still selfish even after salvation. And yet we have the power of the Spirit at work in our hearts and lives. We know what God's Word tells us. And so we seek to apply that in daily lives. Once saved, it's about others. And that's why community is all important because those are people for whom Jesus died just as He died for you and me. Now, in sermons before, we've talked about how in God's wonderful creation, 
so much better. The church is somewhat similar. We need all kinds of diversity in the life of the church. We're not all we can be if some population is missing. We need young and old Christians. We need babies, especially young couples. We always need more babies than we have. Always. We need new as well as mature believers. We need all races of Christians, and we need those who are well-educated as well as those who haven't had many of the same educational opportunities we've had. We need rich and poor. We need those who are healthy, and we need those who are not so healthy. We need those who have grown up in Rock Hill and those who have come to us from other places. And we need those whom society labels as challenged for special needs. For those of you who have never been, when you go to Camp Joy at Von Clarken, which is a one-week camp for the special needs, and it's a one-on-one camp, meaning there's one counselor for every camper, when you go up there the first time for that week-long camp, you have people, when they find out that you've never been there before, they tell you, they start telling you things like, this is, this is just like a little piece of heaven. These are the most joyful people you'll ever see. This is, this is the greatest place there is for this one week on earth. And they say those kinds of things over and over and over again, not because of the counselors, though they're great, not because of the music leaders and the, the Bible teachers and the craft and recreation leaders, and not because of the worship leaders, though they're all good too. They say it because of the campers. Because all of a sudden, you're around people who are humble. People who have joy in their hearts. People who obviously know how to care for one another. People who, for the most part, don't know what competition is. Nor would they want to take part in it. Because they wouldn't really understand the disciples' question. Because they don't think in terms like that. To their mind, everyone is the greatest. You hear what I'm saying? We have so much to learn from our special friends in the Just Joy ministry here in the life of this church because they can easily illustrate what humility is all about. You see, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving us a prescription for reversing the terrible effects of sin upon human relationships in order to promote community in the midst of God's people. In this 18th chapter as a whole, Jesus emphasizes three issues that can be so destructive in the life of the church because they destroy community. And those three issues are competition, independence, and record or what you and I might call payback. Our passage just deals with competition. And that's why Jesus prescribes humility. You know, if you've got a sickness, you go to a doctor 
there's no room for complication. Because we're not worried about who's the greatest, but rather how we can be of help to someone else. As children of God, we're part of the same family. We're all brothers and sisters of Jesus with the same Father. There's no need to compete. Because after all, God has enough love for all of us. Don't you believe that? Don't you think that's true? This God who has enough love for the whole world that He sent His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, surely He has enough love for you and me. And as we humbly experience God's grace, community is established or it's created. And just as this humility creates community, so does this humility strengthen community. Instead of having to spend our time competing with others to see who's the greatest, our unique individual relationships to Jesus allow us to serve each other for our good and for the good of God's kingdom and the world. about Camp Joy and our Just Joy worship service every month is that we get a fresh glimpse of what true community is all about. As those people file into Robinson Hall because, you see, they love being together. You can tell it. You can see it on their faces. You can hear it in their voices. the same thing Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes in his book Life Together, when he says the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The believer feels no shame, as though he were still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for the physical presence of other That's why we're so important to each other in here on a Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights and at other times because we have so much encouragement and support for each other. And if you feel like you don't really belong in this group, that that for some unknown reason you just aren't glad to come together, then you need to God's Holy Spirit to help you to feel the love you have and should have for one another. I know God has given me a love for you. When we first moved here, we had been through so much in that previous congregation that we were just like this. We were so tight with that congregation. I didn't think I could ever be that close to a group of people. And when we came here, it was just a whole different congregation, a whole different kind of situation. And Sarah and I wondered, will we ever have that feeling again? 
says, friend, I will remember you, think of you, and pray for you. And when another day is through, I'll still remember you. May God bless us to that end as we seek to choose community instead of competition.